we will be uh, decorating our church for Christmas uh, pretty soon here, I think in another week or so. It's always awesome to see this, this room transformed into uh, just wonderful Christmas decorations. But uh, someone sent me a suggestion that we might use for our nativity scene, and uh, I won't say who, uh, but uh, her first name starts with a Sue and ends with a Zan. Uh, so, um, but uh, here is what she suggested that we use for our nativity scene. Uh, and, you know, the more, I, the more I think about it, Suzanne, since Jesus came into the world to save sinners, uh, I suppose cats are a pretty fitting symbol of the evil uh, of sin. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure 1 Timothy 1.15 says something like, Paul said something like, Christ are the chief, or something like that. That might be a paraphrase. Yes? Oh, they are. <laughs> well, okay. The cats are wearing masks. Well, I don't care whether they're wearing masks or not. Cats are cats. Um, but anyway, so we respectfully declined to go with that suggestion. Um, so take your Bibles and turn to Roman or to Psalm chapter one hundred. And um, someone suggested this would be a great psalm to look at the week of Thanksgiving, and I couldn't agree more. We just sang uh, a song from this. Uh, psalm in the Old Testament. And I want to begin, and, and by the way, uh, for this week's devotional that always comes out on Thursday with our newsletter, I'm actually going to sort of uh, compress this message from Psalm 100 down into some general points. Uh, so if you're prone to taking notes or normally take notes, uh, just recognize that the main points, I'm going to reiterate them in a devotional format uh, on Thursday's uh, newsletter uh, email. But I want to start with um, an imaginative fable that uh, perhaps you've heard told before about a day when people got up and the sun didn't rise. Six o'clock came and there was no sign of dawn. At seven o'clock, still no ray of light. At noon, it was as black as midnight. No birds sang out. Only the hoot of owls and the chirping of crickets broke the silence. Then came the long, dark hours of the afternoon. Finally, evening arrived, but no one slept that night. Some wept. Some wrung their hands in anguish. Every church was filled with people on their knees, praying throughout the night for sunlight. After a long night of terror and anguish, confusion and bewilderment, millions of eager, tear-streaked faces turned toward the east that morning. And when the sky began to grow red and the sun began to rise, there was a loud shout of joy. Millions of voices rang out, Bless the Lord, O my soul, because the sun had risen after just one day of darkness. The very consistency of God's blessings sometimes seems to dull our sense of gratitude. We often take for granted the daily dose of God's blessings and care that are ours every day to enjoy. The thankfulness that lies dormant in our hearts really should rise in expression each and every morning with the dawning of each new day. Thank the Lord that the sun has risen today. Well, of course, here in America, we set aside a time each year of reflection on the blessings of God. It's a time of thankfulness. We call it Thanksgiving. 
And this week on Thursday, we will um, celebrate that uh, national holiday. And I began to wonder as I thought about that fable, how many of us really need a designated day once a year to spur our hearts on to thankfulness? In other words, if Thanksgiving wasn't a national holiday, do you suppose there would actually be some people who go a whole year without pausing to reflect on God's goodness and express their gratitude to Him? Well, I'd like to spend the next few minutes focusing on this biblical call to Thanksgiving. And we see this in Psalm 100 as we continue our series on selected uh, psalms. This is now the 13th in this series, and we've got another one uh, coming up next week. Next week, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 124. I was working on that some this weekend. But Psalm 100 is the climax of a series of seven psalms uh, that, uh, that, that speak about the great Jehovah Yahweh. Um, Jehovah is the English word for that Hebrew word Yahweh, the personal name of God. And His sovereignty, His reigning and majesty. So Psalm 100 is really kind of like the doxology to this cluster of, uh, of songs. And in this uh, short psalm, it's only five verses, uh, uh, I kind of focused in on five particular Hebrew words, one from each of the five verses in our English Bibles, three verbs, a noun, and a conjunction. And I think these give us some key elements of gratitude. So again, just to kind of lay out the context, uh, we're in a section of psalms that are anonymous. We don't know who wrote them. Uh, but they all give praise to the Lord who reigns, to the sovereign great Jehovah. And Psalm 100 is the climax. Historically speaking, we're looking at a time about a thousand years before Christ. And, uh, and we see as we look at each one of these verses, five key elements of gratitude. You know, as you came into this place this morning, we have several entry uh, doors. Uh, sometimes the worship team will come in through this door, bringing in their equipment. I and others often come in through this side door here. The main entrance, of course, is out uh, in the lobby. But what did you bring with you when you came in this morning? Did you bring a heart of gratitude? You know, the, the psalm <clears throat> begins, Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Come before His presence with singing. Enter His gates, verse 4, with thanksgiving. What did you bring with you uh, this morning? You know, one of my great uh, burdens as a pastor and someone who, even when I wasn't pastoring, was typically preaching somewhere on any given Sunday, is just recognizing that there's something really sacred about the gathering of the church. It's a divine uh, commission in Scripture. It's a command that we assemble ourselves together. It's God's divine design for uh, the, the body of Christ, the believers in this present age. And I always am burdened when I come uh, to, to, to preach because I want somehow for all of us, myself included, to be able to really set aside all of the distractions of yesterday and <clears throat> anxieties about tomorrow and just, just really focus on the Lord. That's what these gatherings are for. They are to really help us uh, set our hearts on things above at a time and in a world where we don't often do that much anymore. We get so distracted. I mean, you know, let's be honest. Uh, I know in my life I'll go sometimes days without thinking about spiritual matters because life can be consuming that way. And so <clears throat> as we think about 
this idea of entering his gates with thanksgiving, I want us to sort of answer the question, what does a thankful heart look like? Um, how can we express a thankful heart? The first word that comes to mind as I read this short psalm is the word active. A thankful heart is active. Uh, it begins with, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Now, I mentioned that I kind of zeroed in on five words. What you see highlighted in yellow there is actually just one word in the Hebrew text, and it's the word shout. Translated here, make a joyful shout. It's actually the word ruach, which means to raise a shout, give a blast with the horn, shout a war cry, sound a signal for marching or advancing the troops, shout out in applause or triumph, or in a negative sense, it could be cry out in distress. But all of those nuances of this word have one thing in common, and that is they're all active. To raise a war cry, you've got to be on the lookout, ever ready to see the enemy coming. Uh, it's an active word. And I think what this tells us is that thankfulness is not passive, it's active. Thankfulness is not internal, it's external. Thankfulness might be developed in the heart as an attitude, but it overflows in our life and actions. Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, Matthew 12. So the, the anonymous psalmist here places this verb at the very beginning of the verse for emphasis. It's as if he's saying, thankfulness begins with a shout. Say it, don't think it. It's not enough to feel grateful. A truly thankful heart is expressive. We read in Ephesians 5 that Paul, speaking to the New Testament church here, says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It takes effort to be expressive. Your internal gratitude is one thing. That's passive. That's certainly important to have an attitude of gratefulness. But ask yourself, how can I demonstrate my gratitude to God today? You know, all across America this coming Thursday, Families are going to gather to celebrate Thanksgiving. And I wonder how many of those gatherings will reflect genuine, heartfelt, sincere gratitude that is outwardly expressed. Or how many of these family gatherings are going to reflect the experience of this family in this short humorous video that I'm about to show you? It's called a very social uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, do we want to get the lights just to make it a little bit easier? Hopefully this is not what your family Thanksgiving will look like. watching a video on how to prepare a ham right here, so thank you, thank you so much. Boys, no devices at the table. It starts with her, it starts with her, it starts with him, it starts with him, and then there are, and then But I do know this, I'm thankful for you guys. What do you say we go ahead and carve this turkey? <laughs> It's been a great Thanksgiving. 
let's just get a look at all the cousins hanging out, having fun. Guys, seriously, can we put the devices down? Okay, everyone get together for the photo. Amen. Thankful. <laughs> uh, a thankful heart is active. And uh, boy, it's so easy with all the distractions of this world to be uh, passive. Uh, but the second word is in verse 2, and that is a thankful heart is attractive. A thankful heart is attractive. Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. So this is a noun, uh, and it's the word gladness. In Hebrew, it's uh, pronounced simha, and it means joy, gladness, or mirth as displayed in festivities. So the Jewish festivities were always very visually appealing. They were attractive. They were major productions. Uh, gratitude should be something like that. It should be attractive to look at. You know, you ever come across someone who says they're thankful, but their expression doesn't really match their words, you know? You know, man, I'm so thankful. Really? You might tell your face. I don't think it knows what your heart is saying. Uh, so the psalmist says that gratitude should be expressed with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness, with joy, with mirth. You know, thankfulness leaves no room for discouragement. Uh, if you're thankful, you can't be simultaneously discouraged. There's an old legend about a man who found the barn where Satan keeps his seeds ready to be sown in the human heart. And on finding the seeds, he noticed that the seeds of discouragement were more numerous than all the others. So he inquired about it, and he learned from Satan that those seeds could be made to grow almost anywhere. But after further questioning, Satan admitted that there's one place where he could never get the seeds of discouragement to grow. And that's in the heart of a grateful man. See, when you're grateful, there's no room for discouragement or sadness. When you're grateful, there's no reason to frown. Look at the way gratitude is described in this voice. With singing, you know, Proverbs has something to say about that. You don't sing songs to a heavy heart, right, because they just don't go together. It's not natural. When you're sad, discouraged, depressed, upset, stressed, you don't just walk around singing uh, happy songs. The New Testament, again, gives us a similar a concept for the church in the present age. We're to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, when our kids were younger, uh, they, they used to, when they would play, they would make up songs. And you'd, every now and then you'd kind of walk in and you'd, they wouldn't know you are watching, but you'd see them in there playing with their toys and just singing these la-la songs. And it just was, uh, you know, a, 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 an attractive sight of a, happy person singing and making melody in their heart. So a thankful heart is active and it's attractive. But then look at verse 3. Look at verse 3. A thankful heart is accepting. It accepts God for who He is. Listen to what He says in verse 3. Know 
know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So this is the third key word. It's another verb in Hebrew, and it's the word know. It literally, it's the word yada in Hebrew, and it literally means to take special note of. To take special note of. Which I think is kind of ironic since, you know, in English, when someone is droning on and on and we get tired of listening, sometimes we'll interrupt and we'll say, I know, I know, I know, yada, yada, yada. Well, that's not what yada means here in Hebrew. It's to actually pay special attention. To be thankful is to express confidence in God's provision. It is to pay particular attention to all the things that we have to be thankful heart, uh, thankful for. It begins with a proper understanding of who God is and who we are. Know that the Lord, He is God. Thankfulness requires the right perspective. And when we get our eyes off of, you know, on our circumstances and off of God, everything seems to be tainted with discouragement, with bad outcomes, with negativity. But when we think about, we step back and we look at the big picture and we think about who God is, who we are, and what God is doing, we're going to talk about this more next week in Psalm 124, one of the songs of ascent that they would sing as they went up uh, for the different festivals each year, uh, then it changes our whole perspective. And I think that's why the anonymous psalmist here reminds us uh, that we, we know who God is. We should know, we should pay special attention to the fact that the Lord, He is God. And a thankful heart accepts God's sovereignty, recognizing that God is in control. A thankful heart accepts God's supervision. Uh, it is He who has made us and not we ourselves. It accepts God's shepherding. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. He cares for us uh, like a shepherd cares for his flock. And I think when we pay special attention to that, take special note of that, it's going to help gratitude well up in our heart and overflow through our expressions. Matthew Henry made this famous quote, you may have heard this before, after he was robbed, Matthew Henry, the great 19th century theologian. Uh, he had just been robbed on the street. And he said, quote, I am thankful that in all my life I have only been robbed once. I am thankful that they took my wallet and did not take my life. I'm thankful that although they took my wallet, it wasn't much. And I'm thankful that it was I who was robbed and not someone else. Talk about perspective. He was able to find four reasons to be thankful to God after he was robbed. I mean, can we say that? He accepted God's sovereignty and God's supervision and God's shepherding in his life. He knew who God was and that God was in control. So a thankful heart is active, it's attractive, it's accepting, it's also adoring. And this one sort of makes sense. We, we think often about being thankful and praising God in the same context. But look at verse 4. The fourth key word is another verb, and it's the word bless. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. Bless. The word bless, literally in Hebrew, is the word berak. That's how it's pronounced in Hebrew, berak, and it means to adore on bended knee. 
to a door on bended knee. And I will resist the urge to make comments about a former U.S. president whom many worshipped like he was the Messiah with that same name. But uh, Barak means to bless with the bending of the knee, to bow down and worship, you might say, right? And four times in this verse, verse 4, the psalmist uses synonyms for adoration. He talks about thanksgiving. He talks about praise. He talks about be thankful. And then he says here, bless, this fourth uh, word, the word that we're kind of zeroing in on. So adoration kind of flows from this idea of accepting who God is. It flows from a heavenly perspective. You know, at the time that the psalmist was writing, again, about a thousand years before Christ, the Jewish worshipers would literally enter the temple, approaching the very presence of God in the holy place. They would express their adoration that way. Today, we don't have a physical temple to go to. We don't need to go to a physical temple because our bodies are the physical temple. The Holy Spirit's taking up residence. We have a new and living way opened up for us in the heavenlies. We can burst into the throne room to find grace and help in time of need. The veil has been rent in two because of the shed blood of our Savior. So uh, the way we approach uh, the Lord and adore Him looks a little bit different. We symbolically enter the presence of God with a pure heart. Um, implied within the verb bless is this idea of bowing down, and that implies humility. And again, that comes from perspective, understanding there is a God and you are not Him. You know, you don't look down with pride and haughtiness to express gratitude and adoration, right? You look up from a humble heart. Our knees and our hearts are bowed. Our eyes are fixed on the Savior ultimately as the source of all good things. James says every good and perfect gift comes from above. So in expressing gratitude uh, in life to others, ultimately we're recognizing that that source of that is God himself. So the idea of bowing down. Psalm 96 is in the same section of anonymous psalms uh, and uses the same word here, Barak, bless. It says, sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Good news of salvation here. We, we tend to think of salvation in the sense of personal, uh, eternal salvation so that we no longer face the penalty of sin, which is hell. But salvation, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, just means deliverance. And often in the Old Testament, it speaks of national deliverance for Israel. And such is uh, the case here. He's, they're, they're, they're blessing the Lord because He has delivered them from some physical danger or harm or from some enemy or maybe it's from daily uh, protection. But certainly as we think of salvation, whether it's physical deliverance in, in some, from some illness uh, and, and we praise the Lord for those types of things, maybe it's provision for some need that we have, but ultimately the thing that we have the greatest to be thankful for is our eternal salvation. And Peter reminds us that we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, priesthood, a holy nation, his own special nation, people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I mean, above all else, the thing we adore the Lord for the most 
is that we are now a child of God because by faith we have trusted in Jesus Christ and thereby received the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. That's why John, in writing in his epistles, not long before he died, at the end of the first saying, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. What's he doing? He's adoring an expression of thankfulness to God because of his individual personal salvation. And if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ and him alone for salvation, you need to be very clear on this point. There's only one way that you can be saved from the penalty of sin, which is eternity in a literal place of torment called hell. Only one, only one way. And that is to accept the payment made on your behalf by Jesus Christ when He shed His blood. He went to the cross for you. He, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How do you accept that payment? It's not automatic. If it was, everybody would go to heaven. But each individual person has to personally choose to accept that free gift. A gift not freely accepted is no gift at all. If it's forced upon you, it's not a gift. So the gift is freely offered. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to me. Whosoever will may come. How do we accept it? One way, faith. Faith. And I know that's hard for us to understand sometimes because we've done, Satan's done such a masterful job of confusing the world about faith. But faith, people know what faith is. Children understand faith. It's so simple. Uh, you're just trusting in something. That's why Jesus said, you know, you have to become like a child to enter the kingdom because you have to understand faith. What does it mean? I'm trusting in Jesus Christ alone as the only one who can save me. So you may be here today and you may be trusting in your own goodness. You may be trusting in your religion. You may be trusting in your childhood baptism. You may be trusting in your family heritage. You may trust be trusting in the fact that, you know, you're not that bad. You're, you've never murdered or done any of the biggies. You're pretty good. You may be trusting in any number of things to get you into heaven. But the Bible is clear that there's only one object of faith that can save us, and that's Jesus Christ. So who are you trusting in today? And if you've trusted in Jesus Christ and Him alone for your salvation, then you can proclaim His praises. You can adore Him for the good news of salvation. You can enter this place with a heart of thanksgiving. If nothing else, with the right perspective, any time a day you can say, thank God I'm a child of God. I'm born again. I'm a believer. Right? And then the fifth word is in the fifth verse. And uh, it shows us that a thankful heart is appropriate. It's appropriate. The, the, the psalmist in this short little hymn with just two stanzas, verses 1 through 3 are the first stanza, verses 4 and 5 are the second stanza. He gives us the reason in this last verse. It's the word for. Now, this is not a profound word at all. In fact, it's a common conjunction in Hebrew that's used over 4,000 times in the Old Testament. And it just means, depending on the context, it can mean a variety of, of, of different uh, things, but in this context, it means because, because, it's the word key, and it is the key to really understanding why thankfulness is so appropriate. Um, and you know, sometimes the significance of a word is overshadowed by its prevalence. 
And this is, again, so common. It's a common conjunction used all throughout the Old Testament Scriptures 4,267 times, in fact. And it may be common, but don't look past it. Uh, because what he, the psalmist is basically doing is spending the first four verses using imperative commands to exhort us to be thankful. But then here in verse 5, he tells us why. Why should we be thankful? Well, because, for, the Lord is good. The Lord is good. He lists three reasons in this one verse, uh, but there are many reasons to be thankful. These are just the ones that come to his mind under the inspiration of the Spirit as he's writing this psalm that we now can learn from and study and sing together, uh, you know, 3,000 years later. But we have lots of reasons to be thankful. Someone has pointed out the, the second we are born, we have someone to thank for nine months of free room and board, right? We always have something to be thankful for. But gratitude is the natural response to God's goodness. It's a natural response to God's grace and mercy. Uh, it's a natural response to God's truth. I mean, where would we be if we didn't have an anchor of the soul, something that we could rest on as the empirical, trustworthy, infallible truth of God's Word, and His truth endures to all generations. So, simply put, gratitude is very appropriate. When we begin to think of all that God has done for us, we can't help but be thankful. Um, you know, just as it's appropriate to stop when the light turns red or to brush your teeth in the morning or to tip the waiter at the restaurant, it's appropriate to be thankful. It should come natural. We've got lots of reasons to be thankful. In her classic book, The Hiding Place, Corey Ten Boom uh, tells the very powerful story of the time she and her sister were in this Nazi concentration camp, were forced to take off all their clothes during various inspections. And on one occasion, Miss Ten Boom stood in line feeling both forsaken and defiled, when suddenly she remembered that Jesus hung naked on the cross for our sins. So she leaned forward and whispered to her sister, Betsy, they took his clothes off too. And then Betsy gasped and turned and said to Corey, Oh, Corey, and to think I never thanked him for that before. We have an endless thing, number of things we could thank our Lord for. We just don't think about them. We just don't think about them. So Thanksgiving doesn't require abundance. It simply requires a recognition of what Christ has already done for us. And then it's going to flow naturally and appropriately from the heart. So there you go. Nothing particularly profound this morning. A very simple uh, passage by an anonymous hymn writer that uh, reminds us that a thankful heart is active. It's attractive, accepting, adoring, and it's quite appropriate. So the takeaway as we transition now into a time of Lord's Supper to close our service this morning is one verse that kind of sums it all up from the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. What if this Thursday was not a national holiday? Would our hearts still well up in gratitude? Does the sun have to hide for a day for us to realize how blessed we are? I want to encourage you. you know, we, this psalm talks about entering with thanksgiving. Let's leave with thanksgiving.
uh, today. And wherever you are, wherever you go, whatever is taking place, and I know there are some heart-wrenching things that people are going through right now. There's some tragedies we want to continue to remember, a little thin, pray for a miracle there. But we still need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just this wonderful, familiar hymn that just reminds us of all that we have to be thankful for. It reminds us of the importance of a thankful heart and expressing it uh, with words and actions. Lord, as we move now into this time of remembrance, we, we want to thank you for the incredible sacrifice that you made on our behalf to pay our personal penalty for sin. Lord, we're overwhelmed when we think of how anyone would do that, that you gave your life for our sins. And uh, so, Lord, we pray that uh, we would be motivated this week to, to have a thankful heart and to express it and to be thankful for all of the little things that you've done for us day by day. And we give you this time now of communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.